I do enjoy scatting for that with that intro, you know. Mm. I was actually watching um, an episode of MST3K. Oh, okay. A little bit ago, yeah, yeah. and it's it's the one that was it's Girls Town with Lenny Van Doren, Paul Anka, and Mel Torme. Uh huh. And because Mel Torme is in it, ta- ta- Servo, who's my favorite character on the show, is like, "Hey guys, you know how much I love to scat, right?" Just and get right that, into it. Whenever Mel Torme shows up on screen, easily the worst teenage casting I've seen since Grease. <laughs> like, 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 sure, you're a teenager. 31-year-old Mel Torme. I think he was like 31. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you might be wondering, what show am I listening to? You are listening to The Arts Report. Really? I'm your yeah. host, oh, Ashley right, Park. Yeah. And I'm Jake Clark. And you're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muscum territory, territory in Vancouver, having a bit of mush mouth this March. Uh, March 22nd, yeah, March 2017. That's all, folks. March Madness Mushmouth. Ain't that the truth. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of waiting for March to kind of end, but at least there are some really cool stuff happening this month. There was, yeah. yeah. And there is, too. Like, like um, there's going to be, like I tell you, half this show is probably going to be teasers because we got some great stuff coming up. We got Brave New. Mm-hmm. We got uh, some a very lovely show, which we're going to talk about later. And, of course, we have the MTT show. Mm-hmm. All will be revealed later on the program. So you and we also have um, a, a really big uh, show that, was, that actually premiered last um, week, Thursday, uh, Lady Belfair oh, yes. by UBC Theater. Amazing stuff. And we're actually going to do uh, ticket giveaways. And uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to play an interview with Sarah Sacco and Nikolai Kuchin. They were the um, they are the set designers for Lady Belfair and really uh, amazing set. Bang up job. That we saw. Yeah. Oh, and you, we're going to yeah. go right into the interview and mm. then we're going to, re- you and I are going to ruminate on it. Oh, yeah. But... What we'd like for listeners to do is listen to the interview and let us know what day Les Belsur is ending, their final show. That is all you have to do. Then you have to give us a call here at uh, CITR, which is 604-822-2487. But please hold your call near the end of the interview. It's about 13 minutes long. Amazing stuff from uh, Sarah Sacco and Nikolai Kuchin. For UBC Theatre's Lay Belser. Hi there, everybody. My name is Ashley Park. You are listening to The Arts Report. Today we have two amazing guests with us. They are actually part of Lay Belser. This is a production by UBC Theatre. It will be starting on March 16th to April the 1st. And today we have with us Sarah Sacco and Nikolai Kuchin. Can you please tell everybody listening to us? who you guys are, what's your role in Les Belles and how did you get started on this production? Well, thanks for having us. So my name's Sarah Sacco, and this is Nikolai, and we are co-set designers for Les Belles And I think you guys are both in the Masters of Architecture program at UBC. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so I'm finishing my thesis at UBC Theatre. And yeah, I graduated four months ago. What have you learned in class that you are now able to create on stage? Well, I, I think architecture and set design, you do a lot of the same thing and a lot of the mm-hmm. same skill is involved in both disciplines. Like you do, uh, you think about space, you do like models and drawings. The great thing about set design is that it's really fast. Like an architecture building takes like four to six years to produce and here it's like four months and then you're like hugging and kissing everyone. <laughs> so it's great <laughs> for us to get a kind of practical experience. 
that's different from what we usually do. Mm -hmm. And you guys are working together with the uh, director, MFA directing candidate Diane Brown. Let's talk about the actual play itself, Les Belles Sœurs. Can you tell us more about the play for those who might not know? So uh, Les Belles Sœurs is a French-Canadian play. I believe it was written or first produced in the 1960s mm -hmm. um, by Michael Tremblay. Um, yeah, no, no, I th yeah, I think you're right for Canadian theater because it, it was this really groundbreaking moment where in Montreal, and I was really surprised to learn, and I'm not even from here, that there was still this very conservative and religious play in the 60s. So the fact that it was working class women on stage was mm -hmm. really important for society, and I, I still it ha has a lot of relevance today with all, you know, the Women's March and everything, this kind of things. And uh, also International Women's Day was, you know, it's also part of March as well. So it's really great that we have mm -hmm. this like big theme of especially representation on stage, women on stage, Canadian plays on stage as well. So it's great that we have this huge feature coming into UBC. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, Les Belles Sœurs and how that translates into set design. So this is again, French-Canadian play, first produced in 1968, and it was a part of uh, Quebec culture. And how did you guys represent that through your use of architecture, through use, your use of set design? What did you guys envision? Play is set is a kitchen set, so it's one scene or one set based in a kitchen. So we did a lot of research in terms of seeing what the plateau area of Montreal, which is where it's based, looked like at that time. But I mean, yeah, so basically like we did a lot of research to really get to know the environment we're working with. Mm -hmm. But then, I mean, we're at UBC Theatre and the really great thing about it is that it it's a non-commercial enterprise. It really allows designers and directors to experiment. So we're kind of putting a twist on the whole on the whole thing, mm -hmm. just um, highlighting the most important thing, making it, you know, like theatrical. Of course, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> So what are some uh, of these innovations logical. that you guys kind of thought of and tried and maybe some of them didn't translate onto, you know, the actual set and some of them did? Can you tell us what the process is like going into set design? I know you mentioned before that it's actually much more quicker to construct these right. things. Right. So I guess if somebody's really interested in becoming again a set designer and creating these environments for actors to kind of like play in, what do you guys kind of, you know, when you start your process, what do you guys do? Well, I think the design process is very collaborative. I mean, Diane, who's the director on the show, she came in with a lot of great ideas. And it's just like working that dialogue that we can really start to come up with ideas. A lot mm -hmm. of it is just like collages, just to kind of, you know, throw out just or just sort of produce different kinds of ideas quickly. And then we get into like the more detailed drawings. And then, of course, it's always a process during production and construction for changes. Like, we've been doing a couple paint changes and things like that, because mm -hmm. you never really know, know what it will look like mm -hmm. on stage, but sometimes the lighting is a bit different, or there's, like, new things being added to the play. So it's a continuous mm -hmm. kind of process. Right. Yeah, I think essentially we're just serving the play, we're serving the story, as opposed to being, like, you know, free artists um, who just do their thing. Mm -hmm. So in a way, we're, like... Essentially, it's our hands are tight, but but <laughs> yeah. it's a great thing that our hands are tight because we have so much input from everyone in the process to work with. What you guys mentioned before with the with the twist on it, are we allowed to like kind of know? Can can we know about <laughs> no, it? Or no, absolutely no. You uh -oh. are allowed to go to theaterfilm.abc.ca and get a ticket to the show. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I promise you, there is a lot of surprises. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> then, let's kind you. of like yeah. Well, definitely, definitely, it's always good to again support 
local theater, especially that of UBC Productions, is always actually high quality. People who haven't gone to the shows yet would be really like pleasantly surprised. And the production value that UBC Theater puts out is amazingly beautifully uh, created shows. Yeah, there's a wonderful team, a really mm-hmm. wonderful, hardworking team, and the whole department is in on it, so mm-hmm. it's great. Well, then let's kind of go into more of your, your, your personal lives a tiny bit here, personal slash professional <laughs> lives, of course, of course. Sarah, this is actually your first production that yep. you're working on, so tell us about all that you've experienced, really. <laughs> so I kind of got into set design um, through an elective through mm-hmm. the UBC theater program. I was just looking for something where I could be a bit more artistic with my skills. And so mm-hmm. that was like a really great opportunity to do a lot of just sort of paper sets or just sort of mock-up sets and kind of really understand the lighting and the rigging and everything about theater because I hadn't really done it before. Kind of led me to this opportunity and Nikolai's a colleague of mine. So like we needed to work together on this. So because <laughs> <laughs> we know how much how much time it takes to produce all these drawings. So. Yeah. <laughs> that was smart. So working with Nikolai actually on this project, how did you guys kind of collaborate? How did you guys share ideas? Did, did it kind of like click together in the beginning for you guys? Or was there a lot of like back and forth? I kind of want to do this. I kind of want to do that. How do we meet something in the middle? Tell us more about it. I think for this one, we definitely really clicked. Like um, we kind of all just sat down and individually and started to collect you know reference points and what mm-hmm. we want to do and then we discovered that we were actually referencing very similar things so for us it was an easy mm-hmm. process and I think working with Sarah the great thing with collaborating is that you can filter each other ideas mm-hmm. so that only like the good ones remain you like weed kind of like workshop and you're like how about this and you're like mm. yeah no totally yeah but it's so great it's so good to see that you had such a good positive experience and you know in your first kind of production now that you've learned what are some challenges that you get to overcome Ooh, challenges I think scheduling has been really hard because <laughs> I am trying to finish school so it's been tough to I don't think I'm answering your question properly but um no that's all right just, t- <laughs> just tell us what it was like for you that's like what we um, want to know the nitty-gritty of set design <laughs> it's very time-consuming and it's very demanding yeah because I think essentially you have to design every single little thing as yeah. opposed to architecture like Sarah and I specified you know how I- exactly torn the wall drops will be oh I'm not telling you any secrets what will be the, the mailing right, address right. On, the, on the mailing box that they get you know you you have to design everything because no mm-hmm. one is going to make that decision for you yeah there's a it certain level of like of specificity that you don't always have with architecture or just it's a different scale mm-hmm. so that was tricky but at the same time very fun Mm-hmm. Because you have to still go by what's written in the play. So if they say this is there, you have to at least put it there if you're doing a naturalistic right. set, right? Absolutely. Right. So well, if you are doing a naturalistic set. Oh, the theater really? is William <laughs> That's true. You're, you're, uh, you're being a little tricky. You're not telling yeah, me anything. <laughs> All right, then. Well, Nicola, let's, let's go to you. You are a graduate of the UBC Master of Architecture program, and you're originally from St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. And you're working on your architecture license and here, and also you're interested in designing for theater. So let's talk about your experiences. You have a bit of um, credits to you, a credits list. So you were part of the cult. You were part of uh, Carousel Theater for Young People for uh, the lawyer show Hairspray and Timeless NBC, uh, Little Woman at Gallery 7 Abbotsford. And you have a lot to your name, really. So let's talk about all your experiences and working with this production. So going from all that 
how did you kind of figure out your style for the craft? Because everyone has a style. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> first of all, I don't think I have a lot to my name because actually Level Sir is uh, probably, it, it's the, definitely the biggest show I've ever designed. So mm -hmm. the other place I did are like smaller community productions, but mm -hmm. which are still kind of demanding as well. I don't think, unless you're like a really established designer, you do have a style <laughs> in this profession because you, mm -hmm. like we mentioned, it's you're not an artist, essentially you are a design designer serving the play. Mm -hmm. So I think it's pretty much still trying different things at this time. So professionally spoken. Well, let's Thank talk you. about your experience with this and you said this is your biggest uh, production yet. How did you rise up to the challenge? Were there any things that you had to do differently than when you, because you're taking on a bigger role? Yeah, well, I, I think there's definitely more people involved. Like we have a, so many departments that you don't have in smaller theaters where you just have, you know, like a two construction crew. We have props department, we have um, construction, we have paint, mm -hmm. uh, which are three separate things. So you kind of have to coordinate between all of them, all of your design decisions. And that was like, I think a challenge for me in this one. Mm -hmm, I see. So how did you two actually get kind of like involved with La Belle So. At the end of um, every year, there's a whole list of plays that UBC Theatre opens up to designers, mm -hmm. especially in the Department of Theatre, and we just put our names in and our resume and cross our fingers, so. Oh, really? So you, you, you guys actually were assigned this play? Yeah. Yeah, mm. we were. I see, I see. <laughs> Did you guys have doubts about it? Because I know, again, first production, big production, like, oh no, what's going to happen? Or were you guys kind of like more like, yes, it's going to be great uh, going in? Yeah, I mean, I think we were, I mean, I can speak for myself and being a bit timid at first. I think especially us working as a team, we were yeah. just thinking that this was a no-brainer to do. So right. Yeah, working alone would be like a m more, I guess, stressful. Yes, <laughs> knowing that there's someone to like help you out. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about working with your peers. You've already mentioned working with the director, again, the MFA directing candidate, Diane Brown. What was it like working with the lighting designer, sound designers, especially with set design? Because if one thing is off, the entire, I guess, environment feels off too, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we're really getting into that collaboration right now mm -hmm. because all of that really depends on tech and Q2Q rehearsals. So. Yeah, um, we're going to meet with Tori later tonight, so... <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll definitely, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. And same thing for everyone here. If they want to go see the show, you know, how to get tickets. Uh, you can get your tickets at theaterfilm.ubc.ca. The price listed is for adults twenty four fifty, seniors sixteen fifty, students eleven fifty, which is quite good. Again, you want to see a wonderful French-Canadian show featuring a whole cast of women, we have about 15 women in the cast, yeah. which is really interesting. I'm and even more on the crew. So. Even more on the crew. Yeah. This is, again, a great show representing the various talents of women in theater, which is going to be very interesting. To uh, let people know, even though it is a French play, it will be translated into English, and it will be uh, telling the story of a woman named Germaine, who is the lucky winner of one million gold star stamps. What does that mean? We don't know. How will the set look like? We don't know. But it's up to you to go to the show and find out. It opens on March 16th all the way to April the 1st. 
All right. So that concludes our interview with Sarah Sacco and Nikolai Kuchin. Thank, uh, again, I want to thank them for uh, talking with us, the ITR Arts Report. And if you are interested in a pair of tickets, we're doing a double pair giveaway. You know, the fact that we're doing a giveaway for this show, if you do end up seeing this show, is kind of either ironic or supremely fitting. Yeah, I would, I would say so uh, myself. So if you are interested, please let us know what day is the final uh, run of Les Bells, or like, I guess the last day you can go watch the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, call us at 604 822 87 that's 604 ubc citr and while we're waiting for your call we're going to play a few short messages 20 seconds okay uh okay here we go um the first word uh courage if i've got courage uh, you're strong no, you're, uh, 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 i'm going you're, off to war uh, brave brave yes ding um the next word uh, i'm not old i'm new yes yes so brave new brave new uh, i've got zits i've got um Spots, my, uh, uh, no, pimples uh, no, no, no. dot yes and then the last one uh, i'm not going <laughs> out to the com, ocean no com, next uh, keep going i'm not going to the, the ocean net, i'm going to the dot ca yes brave new playwrights it's a theater festival brave new dot ca UBC Theatre and Film presents Les Belles Sœurs by Michel Tremblay, translated into English by Bill Glasgow and John Van Burek. Raucous. Realistic. Women. women. Set in 1965 against the backdrop of Quebec's quiet revolution, 15 women tell their story as lurking resentments ignite against Germain, the lucky winner of one million gold star tickets. Reimagined by MFA director Diane Brown and choreographed by Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, Les Belles Sœurs ends our theater season with a foot-stomping bang, running March 16th to April 1st. Curtain at 7.30 in the Frederick Wood Theater. Student tickets only 11.50. Tickets available at theaterfilm.ubc.ca. This stupid, rotten life. Did you know there is a free community bike share at UBC? You might have seen the purple and yellow bike feet around campus. For this week only, March 20th to 24th, if you find a purple and yellow bike, you could win a prize. Be sure to check the new purple bike racks. Some of the PNY bikes will be strapped with vouchers for prizes. Find a voucher under the saddle and win a $50 gift certificate for Jam Jar, a $25 gift card to Kerner's Pub or Loaf, or a gift certificate to Ernest Ice Cream. The PNY Bike Share is a program of the AMS Bike Co-op. For more information, visit www.bikecoop.ca. The Crane Library is looking for student volunteers to record textbooks for those who cannot use print at the university. If you are a UBC student who is computer literate with an ability to read university material aloud and you have a willingness to learn new techniques, we ask for a two-hour commitment once a week. For additional information and to set up an edition, call 604-822-6114 or email crane.volunteer at ubc.ca. Bike Rave is a fundamentally unique event. It's a mobile dance party that explores UBC's campus. Anyone can join this free event, bringing bicycles, skateboards to get in on the fun. We group together, deck out our vehicles in bright lights and ride to different locations, stopping at UBC landmarks to dance, socialize and be part of the best rave on campus. This year is the fifth anniversary of Bike Rave. It's all happening on Friday, March 24th from 8 to 11 p.m., starting in front of the Kerner Library. Get spoked!
FM Vancouver Reloaded, playing your favorite tunes and mouth-humping your ear holes full of voice talk. Yeah, we do that. And welcome back to the Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muskegon Territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark, in case you forgot we moved. Mm-hmm. In case you thought we moved. Damn it. That's right. And if people are still wondering, we do have the uh, double pair of tickets to uh, give out for Les Belles That means two separate pairs of tickets. You... And uh, your girlfriend, maybe you and a friend. Yeah, a girlfriend, boyfriend, a, a gender-neutral third-party friend. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's right. Yep. How how very you know that's that's great, Jake. How open? Exactly. What whatever whatever pronoun friend exactly. That's right. Basically, you and a buddy can go watch this amazing show. Exactly. We actually got to see it opening night. Very interesting. I'm going to give a little bit of a background. So, Label Sir is a two-act play written by Michelle Tremblay. I know in the interview we say Michael. That is our fault. It is actually Michelle Tremblay. It was, um, again, written in 1965. It was actually his first professionally produced work and actually remains his most popular and most translated work. Yeah, I can see that. I can right? see this being a debut work, same mm-hmm. way. Like, uh, yeah. It, it had a profound effect on Quebec language, culture, and theater. It uh, premiered at Théâtre du Reduve on uh, August 8, 1968. And actually, it had a bit of controversy. Did you know that? I can imagine. What yeah. about whatever? Because of primarily the language being spoken, people found it to be raucous and some said vulgar at the time. It was in the dialect of Joual. That's right. Instead of uh, the quote-unquote proper French. And then it <laughs> dared, it, it dared to portray working-class women doing working-class things and speaking working-class language. Shocking. Shocking. This is this is very much uh, a, pl- a sort of a write what you know play, mm-hmm. I think, um, a, a, to a degree. Like that's the thing. He's obviously not female himself, but this every bit of the, this this writing seemed to have like a deep familiarity. This is very much related to the culture and the time. It's a good snapshot, and the presentation of this really helps that. Mm-hmm. One thing I really liked about the play. Uh, especially when we kind to we, we went to uh, go see it on Thursday, is that um, mm-hmm. first of all we can't really talk too much about the set design. I, I promise to uh, keep it a, a secret, but really lovely way to display a kitchen set. You would not have expected it. If you watch the show Bottom at all, you're going somewhere in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. And I loved the. Outfits. Who who was the uh, costume director for the show? Because Ellen Gu, ama- Gu. great job. Yeah, great job. And this is a great thing. Like this is set in obviously the early sixties because it's written in sixty five, and the costumes really do fit. Like that was a good tell. Like there's like uh, the mini dresses, like the very bright mini dresses and correspondingly high boots, mm-hmm. uh, short skirt. There's one outfit in this one that is so sixties it almost hurts. <laughs> And it's just, yeah. it's kind of amazing. But there's also a wide range of costumes. Like the the one character looks kind of like Rosie the Riveter. The mm-hmm. older, I think, <laughs> yeah, they are spinster characters. They've got like the the heads, like not the, the is, is it like a, what is it? It looks, it's like a neckerchief worn over the Yeah, the yeah, like, like a the, headband. The scarves you see like, you know, in, in like Douglas Sirk movies when women are driving, they have those. Um, 
and uh, it it really does help. Like they, they through costuming and set design, they do convey a lot about the characters and the situation, which is really good because there's a lot of characters and it does it it helps it not feel overwhelming. It's very good for that. I, I will have to mention about all the different characters. There were there were actually so many on stage. There were. And uh, the thing is that all of these characters are the youngest. Well, actually, the youngest ones are teenagers. But mm-hmm. they range in age from, I would say, about, would you say, 18, 19 mm-hmm. to... Mm, People in their mid-40s. Yeah, mid mid to... Uh, uh, Even well, the, the 90-year-old, yeah, too. Yeah, there's, there's the 90-year-old grandmother. <laughs> yeah. Mother-in-law. That character, yeah. Uh, that, that it got kind of dark. It got, it got pretty. It, it was actually quite a dark, uh, a dark comedy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the the times when this had some pretty solid dramatic moments in it, mm-hmm. and they, those and the humor were not too different. Like the moments of humor could be played as drama, and the moments in drama could probably be played as humor. Depending on direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not not no, not depending on direction necessarily. Oh. I yeah, maybe, but I think like some of them like. Uh, this uh, the movie made generally more comedy about elder abuse <laughs> than it did about. Um, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but the mm-hmm. point is that it it it's it, it is dark humor, and it's often you get this sense of dear God, I know these people, and they're kind of terrible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jake, do you want to give a brief plot synopsis of? what the play is about. Well, that's about the size of it, really, as was described. There is a woman in working class. I don't know if it was Quebec City or Montreal, uh, but Germain Lazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I used to live in Quebec. My French impression, I'm not sure if that's still good. It didn't okay. really did take. you hear my French? Now I was trying to say Les Belfeurs. I did. I did. But you have an excuse. You didn't take it for years in school. I did, though. You did? Really? Yeah. Okay, okay. Ouch. A little, so it's uh, like, oh, man. <laughs> Great. Uh, I was never the best at, at French. I did not um, kind of miss the boat on that one. But um, so this woman, Germaine, receives uh, these gold star stamps. And I, I was not aware of what those were. Uh, but to my understanding, they can be exchanged for things in a catalog. Mm-hmm. And she's excited because she's going to buy the whole catalog. And she invites all the women in the neighborhood to help her paste the stamps into books because you got to do that to do the stamps, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's what happens. You know, resentment simmer. The characters build up. Sort of most, if not all of them, already f- resent her very deeply. Like the first woman to show up, Melange, um, just – uh, has the has a breaks the fourth wall. This is this isn't a spoiler. This is within the first. I want to say maybe five minutes of the production, maybe ten, mm-hmm. and discusses how angry she is, how unjust she feels, and this is across the various characters. Germaine is oblivious to how much they begin to like not just resent but actively hate her. Yeah, like this is this is a, also a play, and this is something. This version to an almost Neil Labute-like level of visceral bile and hatred. Some of the mm-hmm. characters got to feel for each other. Um, the difference between this and a Neil Labute play is that you can feel this coming from a human emotion, whereas yeah. Neil Labute's worldview is just so horribly twisted that there's no healthy human beings in his <laughs> stories. Yes. In this one, like, you know these people. And for better or for worse, you can understand to a degree where these emotions come from. And that's that's the great one of the great strengths of this this play, like uh, uh, Germaine's daughter Linda, who um, is like she's sort of trying to live her life, but she still lives with her mother. And it's the '60s, you know. 
Yep. So this was a point when that was tensions, you know, between generations. You know, after you've demonized your youth for about a decade through the 50s, you, it, it, it builds. And there's yeah, this whole cultural sentiment there. Definitely. It was a, during the, the Quiet Revolution. Yes. The rapid change experienced in Quebec during the 1960s, especially, uh, and this is from the uh, Canadian Encyclopedia. You can actually check it out on, online. It's actually a really interesting part of uh, Quebec culture and Quebec history. Who's that uh, doughy fella in the picture there? The the doughy fella in the picture is actually Jean Lesage, yeah. and his party came to power in 1916 and introduced the many reforms collectively called the Quiet Revolution. What party was he from? He was, um, well, they actually were, the, the, the Liberal Party broke hold of the Union Nationale, taking huh. 51 seats and 51.5% of the popular vote, hmm. as compared to the latter's 43 seats and uh, 46. Uh, 6% of the vote. So under this man, uh, Jean Lesage, the Quebec Liberal Party had developed a coherent and wide-ranging reform platform. Same. The main issue of the election was indicated by the Liberal slogan, it's time for a change. So a new middle class battle... God, that was good timing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, a new middle class battled for greater control over Quebec's economic resources yeah. and therefore led to almost bitter and decisive attempts to redefine the role of Francophone society in Canada, one being the power of the ch- Catholic Church, yeah, which we secularization, because the Catholic Church controlled education mm-hmm. uh, in in, Canada, in in not in Canada but in Quebec up until that point, and did this play is very is a very good example of probably why that is not a good thing, mm-hmm. um, because I, I I do want to say this I have my family is Catholic I I know people who are raised in the church but um, there's a whole lot of damage when you desecularize education because of exactly what that does across specifically I want to say the gender divide because of all the ways to learn about sex there is no way that the catholic church is going to do that in a healthy way okay there's like there's at best silence and at worst otherwise mm-hmm. and this is a, your point of view this is my point of view this is mm-hmm. my point of view but this is why like there are like i said there are there are many things that the church does well but in terms of the things that you have to sort of teach your children like things about having healthy uh, sexual relations i think and i keep coming back to this because this is a plot point mm-hmm. but uh, also just this difference part of secularization is part of understanding these differences and i think part of this play's point is that all of these people here have a very most of them have a pretty narrow worldview mm-hmm. and a large I, I, the theme of this is to a degree when that breaks down and that's 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 great material for drama but yep. this is great at showing this cusp of people who have been inculcated in a society that's kind of controlled from the ground up in terms of education by the church and how much that intrudes on their lives. Mm-hmm. And one thing that particularly stood out for me, and we're going to reveal a little bit about the set design, is the floating cross. Oh, yeah. I noticed that, too. Yep. It was like so, – because it wasn't really fixed to the wall. It, it was uh, It was on wires. Yeah. Wall. It was on wires. It just seemed to – it almost seemed like – a, Jesus is watching you. Yep, that, that's one of it. Like, very big brother, I'm watching you. But at the same time, because it wasn't fixed on anything, it's not put to the wall, it's not um, it's not noticed by any people on set, it made me feel that um, it was, although the presence is there, because it's not affixed to anything, it had almost like the feeling of a voyeur. 
Like, it doesn't, it's not really there. The meaning of the religion itself seemed distant. Yeah, yeah I, I could see that. Um, While judging, it's just so far away. It's not within the actual homes of the people. Well, here's the thing. If you're a true believer in Catholicism, you believe in love thy neighbor, which none of these characters do. <laughs> <laughs> and that is another thing about religion. Like, true belief in a religion, I don't mean fanaticism, I mean true belief. And mm-hmm. if you know somebody who believes truly in a religion, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> it, it, like, it would be something is something that's very hard to do, but it's doable and it's a source of great strength in that regard. And I think in this play, um, the, the way religion is approached is that it's just something that is there. The actual relevance of religion to these characters' actions is debatable, I want to say, because a lot of them, of course, they are Catholic. Yes. Because you're born Catholic, you're raised Catholic, and you die Catholic in this part of Quebec. Like, that there it is. Like yeah. it's 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 a well, I'd say probably about ninety percent Catholic at that point in time, mm-hmm. even the cities, and uh, at the same time, like because it, it's so omnipresent, it's taken for granted. And there are people who have a deep seated religious faith, uh, like fun the the Spencer characters who who live in a nunnery. Who live they're not in a nunnery, but they live in an apartment. I think that yeah. is subsidized by yeah. the church because they they work there. Um, they seem to be more investigative of their religious faith the one of them is not a true mm-hmm. believer though as as i find out again it's it it's it's hard navigating the spoilers here because i do kind of want to spoil this but i won't because mm-hmm. it's a great play and you should totally take advantage of our giveaway oh you should again if you're wondering what are um you know if i want to get the tickets you know what do i have mm-hmm. to answer basically you know we want to know when is the last day you can come watch the play it is on their website we actually uh, told you yeah, in I our think interview, we, we said it, yeah. and if you want those uh, pair of tickets, you just call us at 604-822-2487. But uh, to get to your point, Jake, about um, the almost judgmental nature—almost judgmental. <laughs> this okay. This is a masterpiece of judgment and hypocrisy. Yeah, he- yep. Throughout it, and that is a topic I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's also a topic that makes me. I think, and I think this is the point of the play to an extent, very angry easily because there's very little, I, like many people in the world, I'm not fond of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And when you see it in other people, and that's the thing about this play, it's very observant. It's a play about women too. Yep. And it's a play about voices that often get disregarded as irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And for all of the hateful things that some of these characters say, there are moments of incredible insight. Yep. There are, and it th- th- there are also really heartwarming stories in that, mm-hmm. which is a great strength of this play to be able to sell that. These characters are very multidimensional. I, I, I feel that's also in part of the actors, the wonderful women who were on stage yes. embodying the characters. Uh, specifically, one example that I wanted to bring up yeah, was... Um, I, I, I am not good with pronunciation, and I am deeply worried that I will... Um, Say the name wrong? Yeah. A little bit. That's Let's right. say, say, okay, so there was a character in this play. She is uh, a younger woman. She's probably the youngest one there who's not one of the daughters. Mm-hmm. And um, she's kind of a shut-in. They make her out to be maybe a little bit of a shut-in. Yeah. Uh, but she is also, like, sort of a joker. Like, she's um, – she, she's a uh, – she, she tells them a joke, which I can't repeat on air. We can't repeat on I, air. I so cannot. I'm going to get Content flagged. Content warning. That's the reason yeah. why. Content and trigger warning in the case of that joke. Yeah. But, um, and then 
she has a really touching scene where she talks about a brief part of her personal life, but she's horrified the mm-hmm. second that she becomes the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And that right there, um, as someone who tells a lot of jokes, makes a lot of asides in their personal life, is a great snapshot of exactly that sort of relationship between being a joker and being a clown. Mm-hmm. And she does not want to be a clown, but she likes to be a joker. And that's a very cogent difference. That's just one of these little things that really, uh, really comes through. I think because the the actress as well, um, if you can uh, find her name, the, the one thing I really to, liked I... is that she was very earnest in giving us that emotion, that personal aside. And these characters actually do have a lot of asides to the audience, if you're wondering. And um, during her bit, it just really completely sold it to us that, okay, this character, she is inside. We're, we're thinking that she's a good person. The problem is is that we don't... We, the uh, characters' names are... There's many characters, and it's very hard to uh, pronounce them, but... Uh, yeah, I, I... You just don't want to like, say it incorrectly, right? It, it's hard. The thing is... And it's I'm gonna... Rose Uimei. Mm-hmm. is the character's name. It's played by Sarah Jane. Yeah. I, I believe, if I if I am correct here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Uime, yes, I yeah, believe I that's, that's the case. But I, yeah, yeah, Uime, Uime. I, I, knew if, I knew a guy named Ule once, and it mm-hmm. sounded similar to me. I almost said that, but I didn't know. I caught myself just in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting thing about this, too. Uh, when they said it was an all-female cast and crew, they are not lying. Mr. Kuchin is the only guy in this program. Yep. Yeah, and I, that's... That's, that's, Only, uh, that's a pretty solid thing. Like that's, and that's, yeah. it, I guess it does definitely fit the play. Like mm-hmm. it's, the, it is again. The interesting thing is that this play was written by a guy, but it has been performed, directed, almost entirely outfitted and entirely acted by women. Mm-hmm. Which I, I suppose, would you? Would you, I, I? I'm a guy. I can't comment, but I, I'd assume that gives it credence. I do like the fact that there is a lot of um, women talent here, uh, just because. Oh yeah. Just because most of the time uh, in theater you don't really have many uh, women on stage. Maybe they're played as like love mm-hmm. interests. Yeah, and and also with the depth of these characters, like um, ironically, the character it turns on Germaine actually has some of the least um, time mm-hmm. to uh, play her character, but there there are some who do very well with it, like. Um, there is, uh, like, it, it, it's even hard to find an example, but the, um, like, her sister, Pirette, who's mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the film, her she's played as a very um, interesting character, as is another character, uh, Sauvé, I think the character's name is Sauvé, uh, and the character, uh, Pirette and Sauvé are played by uh, Cassandra Phillips-Grande and Sabrina Vellani, respectively. Those characters were ones that really caught my attention because... Is Sylvie Rose? Uh, no, Sylvie was uh, the older woman. Ah, uh, right. Basically one of the two and a half decent people <laughs> in yeah, the yeah. play. Um, and But th- th- it's, it's odd because of how almost every character has either a conflict or just a glaring, horrific personal flaw. Yeah. But seems human. Mm-hmm. in that regard and that's hard to do in an ensemble piece it is really hard to do but i think one thing that people that should know in like an ensemble piece is that there shouldn't be like a breakout star on an ensemble they should all be like 
well acted together. No, and I think that's true. that this is in 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 for the most part very solid cast. Everybody had kind of like you know I would say oh yeah their I turn. just I just mentioned them because they they the first in in my mind mm-hmm. who who came to mind. But I I wouldn't say that specifically any of these ca- any of the casting was bad. Mm-hmm. Or that like and it, it was it was all very solid like every bit of acting in this was top notch and every bit of direction was top notch like everyone here had their parts down to a hair like it was it, it, everyone knew the stage almost exactly and it had a very good feel to it it never seemed herky jerky their actions never seemed contrived yeah which was good uh, they they all seemed to navigate the space like human beings do. Mm-hmm. Like, because sometimes, like, in theater, some people are, like, standing still for too long without moving their arms or moving from side to side, you yeah. know? Or they some really people are just engaged with their scene. environment. And even though there's action happening with, like, let's say, whoever has the focus, they're always in the background. You're, you're still aware of their presence. They don't stop doing things because yeah. they're not talking. That's right. Which, yeah, I've, I've, I've been in a few productions where that's happened. And they're just kind of, like, watching, like, the main performances, too. They are... Well, for every production. I would, yeah, like, there are the places... The last production I was in, I just went off stage <laughs> in <laughs> well, a cloud are... of talcum powder. <laughs> and that's regarding... Um, yes, that's yeah, regarding Doris Darling, yes. Yeah. Um, anyways, as I was uh, mentioning, the one thing that I really liked is the they use levels. You only have one set. You don't have a set change at all. But levels? they used... All the levels of the oh stage. yeah. For a second, I thought you meant they had like a separate floor. I was like, they I they might something. as they might as well because you had so much different height. Uh, you That's had true, yeah. the you had the the staircase slash like drawer. Like that was like a thing. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was, a thing. That was an interesting piece. Of, that's an interesting piece of set decoration. Uh-huh. Was uh, it's like a st- is it, it's like a ladder or a staircase. It's yeah. like it looks like a piece of the stairs that would go up the building. Mm-hmm repurposed into a like a, a kitchen drawer yeah. without like any any cabinet doors or anything mm-hmm. like just interesting like that was a good they use that really well in the play mm-hmm. that's a good piece of diy uh, furniture there personally <laughs> you know like i need some drawers well those stairs aren't doing anything cool get the axe <laughs> one thing i also liked is how they used offstage yes they did there was some this play is about 40% yell, not 40%, maybe 60% yelling. 70% yelling. A lot of that came off stage, which was kind of hilarious. It really gave off a neighborhood vibe. It did. And this and in this particular thin-walled kind of paranoid and abrasive neighborhood, mm-hmm. you, that was a good feeling to have because it really did uh play into that. There was there were several scenes um where like characters would go off and basically it was implied they'd get into fisticuffs with someone off stage, yep. and you believe it, kinda. It was because they, they they do the sound very well. They did. They mm-hmm. did. The thing this was kind of the opposite of love and information in that regard because it was love and information bit. was very maximalist, but this was very actually no no it wasn't no it wasn't I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't beginning say of the second act yeah I mean of this one not love and information beginning of the second act this deserves to be mentioned. Uh, and if we haven't convinced you to see it already, which I might have been doing best sales pitch, this will. Uh, the second act open looks like there was a brief directing Sieg by David Lynch. It did. Like, it, it, it looks it, like you add one Roy Orbison song. Yeah. And it looks like David Lynch. 
put one in, like, just came in, like, okay, let's just move some things around here. Okay, I need you to get to make the washing machine move. That's great. That's great. That's terrific. Uh-huh. And we're going to have a severed ear. We can't do that, David. Okay, we'll just stick with this then. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it was this very surreal open. And I, I turned to you. I'm like, are you seeing this? I know. I was like, yeah, I'm seeing it. It's, and that's that did remind me of love and information honestly the uh-huh. opening uh some of the the scene transitions from love and information a little bit mm-hmm. and this was uh but they did some great use of glow in the dark colors it's hard to describe but it's that was yeah, it was really like pop yes it's very nice and which yeah yeah early early 60s yeah late, actually actually no that's a late part of the 60s yeah. that's that's the part of the 60s where timothy leary was doing real good work <laughs> you know like that's but it, it, it's it's that sort of thing and this play does break the fourth wall a lot so it doesn't come out of nowhere that's right and it, it's it's honest and yeah but like that just take advantage of this giveaway just to see that like just yeah, I, I would you know, I would call in now if you're interested. We're gonna go into a few messages before we go into yeah. uh, upcoming stuff. There's Brave New. There's also MTT. Woo! So uh, if you are interested in the tickets, UBC uh, CATR. That's us. 604-822-2487. Call us for the ticket giveaway. I went to Volunteer Wednesdays at CITR, and I met the love of my life. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary. Thanks to Volunteer Wednesdays at CITR, I'm now the president of the Vegan Hot Dog Appreciation Society. After going to Volunteer Wednesdays at CITR, I've successfully synthesized the vaccine for two left feet. Now everybody can dance! Thanks to Volunteer Wednesdays at CITR, I'm now nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award. If you want to change your life, come to Volunteer Wednesdays at CITR from 11 to 1 every week. No experience is necessary. Thank you, Volunteer Wednesdays. Multiple times, Juno Award winner Alex Cuba releases his sixth studio album, Lo Unico Constante, The One Constant, on April 7th. The One Constant draws from some of Alex's earliest influences from his childhood in Cuba. Catch him on tour this fall. The One Constant is available online and in stores April 7th. Visit alexcuba.com for more information. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Crying's still a great song, you know. Like that—that's the thing, you know. Roy Orbison as an artist, <laughs> he really is. Like I—I I watched, I, I rewatched Black and White Night, you know, like mm-hmm. the concert movie, and like I never realized, like, like before I realized, like, like his uh, Bruce Springsteen's in it, yeah, Elvis Costello, okay. Like his backing band is the dream band for so many people, and Tom Waits is also in it. 
And I was like, that makes sense, because Tom Waits obviously listened to a lot of Roy Orbison in his life. But I never noticed mm-hmm. him. And that is weird, because you it's usually very hard not to notice Tom Waits in something. He's let's just say he's a distinctive personality. All right. Well, you're you're listening to we're on the... Ra- we're on the radio, aren't we? <laughs> well, you knew that. We I are, did, yes. We are on... Uh, you're listening to the Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muscogee Territory in Vancouver. We're now heading on to our next show on the docket. We had what was and is, now what shall be. Mm-hmm. We have Brave New coming up tomorrow, Woo! premiering... Um, at uh, Granville Island, Studio 1398. You might have seen our hype over the past few months for Brave New. Amazing stuff. We got to speak with the producers. We got to speak with the directors, the creator of the whole festival, the um, artistic director of the whole festival. Nice that we now know they will not be fitting a Volkswagen into the mm-hmm. theater. Playwrights, directors, as I said before. Um, if you have time, go for it. This is an amazing show. You yeah. can... Um, see it at a great venue, Studio 1398 Granville Island. Get some beers afterwards. Enjoy the night of theater. My and... uh, Actually, my co-star, Denisa from Doris Darling, yep. is in the second stream of shows. Oh, wonderful. And there are two different types of shows, if you're wondering. There's Program A and Program B. The shows are on alternate dates. So if you go see one show on Thursday, it will not be the same show on Friday. There are some matinees over the weekend. I strongly recommend to go watch it. I've seen a few of the uh, rehearsals. Look amazing. Good stuff. Look amazing. All right. And another show that's coming up. Is MTT's Curtains, which is actually on the weekend as well. What does MTT stand for? Musical Theater Troupe. Ah, it's, it's our good, good friends time. at Musical yep, Theater Yep, the Troop. people who enabled me to play five different people in one play in the same scene, and then also enabled me to play the Riddler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you really enjoyed that. I did. I enjoyed that so very much. So let, let's talk about Curtains. What is Curtains? So Curtains is a musical, it's sort of a parody of 50s whodunit uh, theater. If, if you've seen plays, you've probably seen one. Like, um, sort of, and then there were none, not really, but like, sort of. It's about a murder in a musical, so it's a show within a show sort of thing. It's it, 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 it's There is a lot of like, uh, like, evil musical villains out. You know, like the... The uh, show, like, whatchamacallit, uh, you know, that, that CW show, superhero show. They have, like, a Riverdale? Music... No, no, not Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> the superhero show. Who knows? Riverdale might dabble in that. Smallville? No, no, that was over a long while ago. Uh, no, no, it's The oh. Flash and Supergirl. They did, like, a musical crossover with, like, a music meister villain. Did they? Yeah, they did. Anyways, back to what's more important. Riverdale? Like, okay, <laughs> no. Riverdale to me is, like, basically... Amy Sherman Palladino watched a lot of the OC, uh-huh. got accidentally bought a copy of the Archie comics and said, you know what? I'm going to make this into Twin Peaks. That's almost to, exactly what it to, seems like. I have like. to say one thing, though. Me being an OG Archie comics uh, fan and watching Archie Weird Mysteries on uh, Teletoon when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. That was a show. That was a show. Um, I'll just have to say, like, they need to go campy on that. But back to MTT. I think they're going to try. I... I need them to because I am not. I really hope so. I just only watched the first episode. Isn't there sexy Jughead in it? Like that's really that's all you need. No, I don't want that. I just I just want. Oh, it's probably gonna be there. That's what I'm saying. It's a CW show. Let's let's go to MTT curtains. Okay, so uh, curtains uh, is so uh, the original version of curtains actually had David Hyde Pierce from Frasier, great singer actually, um, in it, and it's basically this detective who he played in the original. 
and who is I tell you right now I've seen a little bit of it it's going to be dynamite in this one too uh not David Hyde Pierce but the individuals playing them um what was I going to say oh yeah things um and he is I believe he's moonlighting sort of as not as not as as an actor maybe I don't recall because I, I I've tried to keep it very deliberately spoiler free I've never seen the show I, I know the general synopsis because I do want to see this. I do want to enjoy this. MTT it, it, it is able to almost always put a, a very, like, a, a, their own spin on something. They have a very recognizable mark, very recognizable style with this sort of thing. And uh, it, it's great to see to support MTT because MTT has done some, some pretty good shows with they make excellent use of what they have. Mm-hmm. And that's always great from a theatrical perspective can you tell us more about can we know a little bit about the plot curtains so it's a there's a murder mystery in a musical and it's a show within a show yeah and uh, hilarity ensues so are the so is it kind of like an interactive audience experience or are we watching like a straight you you can't get up on stage and sing with them okay when you go murder mystery i always instantly think audience participation like dinner theater yeah, I like dinner theater. I love dinner theater. Well, you might be – actually, I don't know if you'll be able to eat in there. I wouldn't count on it. Yeah. But uh, no. no. There's no audience participation. It's not like the Rocky Horror Show. Here. Got it. Which, you know, that's – now, if you want a place where you can eat and drink in the theater, there is the Jaws Beverage Garden on Friday. Jaws Beverage Garden? Yeah, hosted by the UBC Film Society. They're still here, and they will be as long as I'm still, well, reasonably capable and that's you know you get to watch Jaws, you get to drink some beverages. That's that's pretty good, right? Yeah, that sounds right. good. Now, okay, so here's the thing: when I I googled Jaws earlier because I I, I want to know how many Jaws movies there were, and the first yep. thing that came up was Jaws Shower Curtain. I didn't oh. want to click on that. Can you yeah. explain that? Like, um, no, <laughs> I don't know what that is. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Because I, I I don't I don't know why you'd have that as a shower curtain. Like it just just like okay. Like uh, I, the logic escapes me. Yeah, but that's so that is on Friday mm-hmm. at seven thirty. I believe right. it's at seven thirty. Let me just let me just try and consult my memory, which you know is not the best when it comes down to it. Um. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, funny bit of trivia about Jaws. Uh, George Lucas was nearly killed on the set of that movie. What the heck? He and Steven Spielberg are buddies from way back. Yeah. Yeah. And Spielberg worked on Jaws. Uh-huh. So what happened was he had the model the model of the shark, the shark head. Yes. And it was named Bruce. All right. You know, like just, okay. You're giving me too much information on Bruce. What did Bruce do? So Lucas came in and he put his head in Bruce's jaws. Because, you know, jokes, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was a joke. Like, yeah. It was like, they're late at night. They probably had a couple. And then... Uh, the jaws actually snapped almost shut. Get out of and town. And nearly decapitated George Lucas. Did he get like neck injuries? No, like it just it just caught his head. Like oh, he okay. couldn't get his head out, but he avoided being decapitated very narrowly. Was it really sharp? Well, it's, it's whether or not it's sharp enough. Like it's it must weigh like at least. I guess like, so. Pressure could two hundred a dull knife can pounds cut. at least. Like so, it'll snap your neck. Oh my god, that's like, morbid. That could have averted the prequels, you know. <laughs> 
That's morbid. Yeah. That's actually would have averted the actual Star Wars series too, because I think Jaws was before them. I don't remember when Jaws was. That that movie's aged well. Jaws. It's. It premiered according to Google, 1975 American thriller film. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's something I I always like. It, this is. I don't know. This is a personal insight. 97% Ron Tomatoes. Yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> Jaws is a fairly, honestly seems minimalistic compared to some of uh, the, Spielberg's other films. And also all the thriller films of today? Well, yeah. Well, like the great thing about a monster movie is you could make a monster movie for very little money or you could make one for a great deal of money. And Depending still... on how much, how many uh, times it's shown, right? Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's like, because it, it's like, you know. A lot of horror movies come out in January. You know why that is? Like, it's it's just the release pattern is, like, you know, put a horror movie out there and people see it because, well, actually, yeah, now still, like, people see it in a theater and it'll make its money back, I think, is the general thing. And then you know what? You'll sell it to a streaming service. It'll be fine. And that's, um, like, you don't need a lot of money to do a horror movie or a comedy, really. All you need is a really good um, idea of how the genre works. For both, you need a gimmick, I think. You need a gimmick and you need good writing. The less money you need, there's less money, the stronger the gimmick. You Mm -hmm. need good writing, I think, and, well, in either case, it'd help. Yep, yep. But, like, uh, But The Room has really bad writing. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, you hear about The Disaster Artist? That movie's coming out. Um, Okay. I'm looking very forward to that. I'm rereading the book because I do I, I reread the Disaster Artist probably about twice a year, maybe once a year. I I, I started doing that when I was in Reach the Top and it became sort of a way to deal with stress. Mm-hmm. And I've just reread it so many times, like usually about right around exam season actually. And I love that book. I do. It's one of my favorite books. It's a really well written one. Like if you if you like film, if if you're at all interested in the room, certainly <laughs> if you enjoy a good laugh, yep. read it. Like and James Franco made it into a movie, and this is James Franco has a weird pattern because for as I lay dying, I watched the James Franco movie of that, yep. which I could have brought up in the review. But yeah, there did you no, like it? There was no point in bringing it up really in the review. It was a thing that existed, okay. which is a lot of what I can say for James Franco's low budget adaptations of famous literature, which is a probably a genre of film at this point because he makes one every parent six months. Lit films. I don't know how that man sleeps. Like I, 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 like everyone else, I kind of have mixed opinions on his bizarre sort of blend of personal and public life. But I admire his work ethic so much <laughs> because I have no idea how he is able to sleep. He gets stuff done. He, he he's he's unleashed. Well, the thing with James Franco is that he's kind of honestly reminds me of Eric Roberts, and that you can see him in so many different things. You want to see him in a Spider-Man movie? You can. You want to see him in a comedy opposite, opposite Brian Cranston? You can. You want to see him in a version of in in a in a version of a William Faulkner novel that's you know that's just gritty and kind of depressing like the book? You can. And many of those things he's done. If you want to see him playing a Victorian psychiatrist who has female inmates reenact Moby Dick, you can. That's a thing that happened. Yeah, definitely. So the fact that he made The Disaster Artist, I was like, yeah, okay, uh, this could be something. And then I looked up and I'm like, okay, it could actually be really freaking good because it's him playing Tommy Wiseau and Dave Franco playing Greg Sestero. Mm-hmm. I want to see that a lot. I really do. I really hope it comes to Vancouver because it is an indie film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and if um, it comes to Vancouver, I am going to pay to see it. That'd be great. It. Like Viv 
um, happens um, every year, which is wonderful. And yeah, that'd be great. Honestly. If people ever want to, like, you have such great movie knowledge, but if people ever want to expand it, they should definitely come to check out the come film to the Society. Jaws Beverage Garden. Yeah. yeah, it's at I believe seven thirty on Friday in I believe the sub. Check out the Facebook page for more details. You get to see Jaws. Admission is free. I believe that there will also be free popcorn. Um, and that that's great, you know, because it's it's a film society. We're still here. Another thing that's still here, UBC Arts and Culture Night. Oh, yeah. they, they do this annually, too, with uh, UBC Improv and Slam Poetry and other live acts. It's going to be amazing. That's next week, Wednesday, March 29th at 6 to 9 p.m. This is very accessible for those who don't want to leave campus. Museum of Anthropology. And, again, it's next Wednesday, March 29th at 6 to 9 p.m. So it's going to be really fun. And uh, tickets are America. just $4. Tickets are $4. And there's, like, food and drinks, Ruby. which we'll, is going to be really fun. We'll be seeing Angels in America. Well, I know we will be seeing An- Angels hey. in America. And that's at the, uh, the you know, um, Granville Island. Um, oh, I forgot. Uh, with that review. Club. Stay tuned for that one. Yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, something. But thank you so much for joining us for this uh, show. If you're still interested in those tickets, unfortunately, we will be going off air. But you can always email us at arts. A-R-T-S at C-I-T-R, C-I-T-R dot C-A. And uh, there are only two pairs, meaning four tickets, available for the giveaway. So Spelling out an acronym sounds kind of weird. <laughs> I know, right? So basically, the questions that you have to answer is, number one, when is the last show run? And number two, really easy, who wrote the play? Spelling does count. Yes, and it'll we be mentioned to the it uh, several times. Yeah, it'll be to the first people who uh, yeah, get the, it in. That's the thing. A friend of mine, I said, they asked me who funds the clubs, and I said the AMS. He's like, how do you spell that? I'm like, A, M, S. Oh, groovy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Arts Report. My name is Ashley Park, and I'm Jake Clark, and Cheers. we'll see you next week. <laughs>